This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Will yesterday's bombshell out of the U.S. have an impact on tomorrow's election? Has it changed your mind? FBI Director James Comey announced that the latest batch of emails that he investigated would not make him change his conclusion about Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server. In other words, that there is no reason to charge her criminally. And this only a week after he rocked her campaign by announcing that he was investigating those newly discovered emails. They were on a device belonging to disgraced Senator Anthony Weiner, who was the estranged husband of her top aide. Uh, So the whole thing has a lot of people scratching their heads. You know, what was up with Comey uh, disclosing those emails in the first place if he could have dispensed with it within a week? Uh, Some people now say uh, that even the mention of her name in a headline with emails and FBI is still damaging. Some people say uh, people have gotten over it. Donald Trump is getting up and screaming that she is guilty. Um, What do you make of it all? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And with less than 24 hours to go to sort this all out, we are going to Ryan Hurl, who is an assistant professor of political science at the U of T in Scarborough. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Okay, well, okay, so what do you think? Um, look, there's several different ways of looking at this. I mean, I think the first way is to say this entire handling of the email controversy has been a little bit unusual, I think particular, particularly since Comey's announcement in July. It's a little bit unusual for the FBI to make such a direct public statement about recommending or not recommending a prosecution. The usual division of labor is between the investigators in the FBI and the lawyers in the Justice Department. So even making a claim about not recommending prosecution after they've initiated an investigation is a little bit strange. Second element of strangeness, according to a lot of commentators and analysts, is that according to the information Comey presented, it does seem possible that a prosecution would have been warranted. Now, a warranted prosecution is very, very different from saying you're guilty, right? It's just saying that there's a sign that that's, in this case, for instance, Uh, classified information had been shared in an improper manner. Now, keep in mind that under American law, you don't have to have intent. You don't have to have criminal intent. Handling classified information is incredibly serious, even if you have no intent of doing anything with it. So to just give an example, um, I've read stories about naval engineers who have taken textbooks home to them when they should, and when they're supposed to remain within their college, within their libraries, and those individuals have suffered severe consequences. So from that perspective, then, the decision in July looks very strange. At the very least, it should have been a decision by the Justice Department. The Justice Department can take a look at the emails and say, or a look at the evidence assembled by the FBI and say, 
well, we don't think a prosecution is warranted. That would be the normal way of doing things. That becomes a little bit tricky when you t- take into this account the fact that it's a Democratic administration. So now Comey doesn't make the situation any better for himself by reopening the case a week ago by making the information public. But in some ways, the situation he was under, it was a uh, case he was damned if you do, damned if you don't. But um, can- his bosses at the Justice Department told him not to. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> the problem is then, what do you do if the information leaks? If the information leaks out, the relationship between the the Justice Department and the FBI is not quite the relationship between uh, a boss and an employee. It is, or another way of thinking about it, you, when you're working in the federal government of the United States, you've got many bosses, right? So from Comey's perspective, he has bosses in Congress, he has bosses in the Justice Department. He, he feels that he has to try to essentially balance off both of them. So I think he believed that, and this I think it was probably a mistake, but he, I think he believed that he, given his previous commitments to Congress, given that he had said that the, that the investigation had been closed, that given the fact that new information comes light, he had, he had to make it public. Uh, in essence, you're either going to have the accusation that you're interfering in the election by not revealing that the uh, that the investigation was reopened for uh, that new information that comes to light, or if you hide that information, it comes to light through various leaks. It comes to light after the election, creating problems on its own. So I think that was the situation he was in. It was a, a difficult choice, but uh, he's been faced with some difficult choices in the last couple of months. Okay, I'm just going to give the numbers again. We want to know with one day. To go, uh, what do you think? Is this a latest twist and turn in the election going to make a difference? Uh, does it change the way you see uh, either of the candidates? The numbers to call: four one six three six zero zero seven forty. Toll free one eight six six seven forty four seven forty. Does this latest uh, uh, call it uh, sort of exoneration make you change your view? of Hillary Clinton. Um, Both these candidates are are kind of despised, uh, (laughs) uh, you know. uh, So I guess uh, sometimes people wonder uh, why, and sometimes uh, actual facts don't seem to make any difference. In the case of Donald Trump, uh, you know, that people count the misstatements and lies he, he, he comes up with at every appearance, but it doesn't seem to make a difference. Uh, with his supporters, also the whole issues about his taxes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's it's really interesting. What what do you make of that? Just the 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 sheer um, disgust people have for this whole election. I think that in terms of the, the level of support that people have for a candidate like Trump, despite his personal failings, despite his statements, despite the the lies in many instances. To me, it can only be interpreted as a sign of a real dissatisfaction with what's been happening in the United States, which takes on different forms. Look, uh, Hillary Clinton faced a really serious challenge from uh, a senator who no one had really taken that seriously politically for a very long time. So I think that, I mean, we'll have a better sense of it once we see the actual vote tomorrow. But the only way to view what's happened in 2016 in the entire presidential electoral cycle is that something is not going right in the United States, and that a lot of people are extremely dissatisfied, so dissatisfied that they're willing to support 
you know, extremely flawed candidates like Donald Trump, regardless well, it, of what they say or regardless of the scandals of their own personal behavior. Well, it's 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 interesting uh, that uh, uh, you know it, it's been parsed and broken down uh, demographically, and so mm-hmm. the people who are dissatisfied uh, apparently are all uh, less educated white voters, mostly mm-hmm. men. Mm-hmm. And uh, the question for Hillary Clinton now, it, it looks like there's going to be a big bump up in, in the turnout of Hispanic voters. So it, it's all kind of being polarized demographically. But the, the, the interesting observation that I have demographically, so the key players in this election, they're, they're all Zoomers. They're all older. Hillary, Hillary Clinton just turned 69. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump, who is 70, uh, keeps going at her for a lack of stamina. And uh, the uh, other person who was huge, as you pointed out, is Bernie Sanders, 74 years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and the millennials loved him. Yeah, I think that, well, in terms of demographics, I think at this point we have to just wait and see what the final results are going to be. It will be much easier to speculate on the effects of demographics once it's actually happened. I know from previous electoral cycles that uh, people can be way off um, into the 2014 electoral cycles. Uh, the, the final results were mispredicted by a lot of people simply because it doesn't, you, don't have to, you don't have to change the overall demographic mix you don't have to be that off in terms of the polling, in terms of having a really significant difference in the final result. But as I said, yeah, the, the age of the candidates themselves is, I mean, is interesting. I think it shows you that it's, both parties have had difficulty, at least in this electoral cycle, bringing more youthful figures onto the stage. But that happens for a variety of complicated reasons. Had Marco Rubio made a few different choices during the last three to four years in the Senate, I think you quite easily, you could have had the first uh, Latino uh, Republican nominee. Uh, we'll see what happens in the next electoral cycle. And I think that uh, what, the major change that will happen for the Republican Party is that they will take outsiders very seriously and not simply hope that eventually they'll go away or that people will get bored. No, they will try to, they will be really be focused on people who are trying to take up the cause of Trumpism, even when Trump goes away. Assuming if that he, he, goes, if away. he goes away. Let's go to the phones. We've got Linda in Barry. Hi, Linda. Hi. You're on the air. Go ahead. Okay. I just, uh, I know what the new report, but I still find that uh, Clinton uh, should have done right by uh, giving those emails up, and she destroyed the emails. So as far as I'm concerned, she's still guilty of wrongdoing. Uh Uh-huh. What about Donald Trump? What about his wrongdoing? Yes, I'm not saying that he's perfect uh, either way. And I know there's so many of them that don't want either one of them. But why did they put them in there in the first place? That's a good question. Um, I mean, there were so many other ones running, but they ended up with these two. And now they're not happy with either one of them. Yeah. I mean, I think the everyone has known for a long time that the American system for selecting presidential candidates, which has really only been in place in its modern form since 1972, it has the potential to yield really disastrous candidates. And I think you'd have to say that Trump, just in terms of his lack of experience, and really that's almost the last thing you have to say about it, uh, just, just looking focusing on that alone, which almost anyone would have to agree with, it shows you that this system for selecting leaders is not particularly effective. Similarly, on the case of uh, on Clinton's side, you could say that for whatever reason, um, the, the party ended up with a really a, a damaged candidate, one with very serious flaws. So it's possible, and this has happened in the past, 
that the parties are going to look back at the primary system itself and say, well, how can we do this in a different way? And I think that's particularly the case for the Republican Party. Remember, the primary system is not part of the Constitution. The parties can change it. It can be difficult, but I think, I think particularly for the Republicans, they'll have incentives, an incentive to rethink it after this election. Okay, let's, uh, let's try to get uh, a couple of calls in before we go to break. Uh, we've got Chris in Toronto. Hi, Chris. Hi there. I find it interesting that although you you point to Trump, you leave out certain aspects regarding the investigation to Hillary. One, Comey and Loretta Lynch both worked at the law firm and they did the tax returns for the Clintons. Two, Loretta Lynch met with Bill Clinton without anybody there to take notes, which is totally contrary to any normative stance when there's somebody who's subject to investigation meeting with the person who's going to determine whether or not a grand jury is in place. Okay, that's true. Yeah, I think that's an interesting. I think those are interesting questions. I mean, I think on. I I apologize, but I mean, like, there's a lot of narrative that's left out here. We're talking a scandal that has a potential far greater than Watergate. You have seen the leaks that have come out through WikiLeaks. It's not the Russians. The American government have acknowledged that. Russia may have been one of the people that hacked Hillary's server, which was illegal. And if you look at Petraeus going to jail, a a four-star general just is sentenced to four years the other day for only having two or three emails. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, I, well, I agree, it's... With, I, I agree with a certain amount of what you're saying. I do think that there, the, the standards are being applied in an unusual way. As I mentioned earlier, the announcement of, of the FBI director of Comey that they, he did not think prosecution was warranted was unusual, and it was probably connected to the fact that there were these connections between Clinton and Lynch. I think what's keeping it from having a huge hold on the public imagination I think in the end, it is the decision of the FBI, FBI not to investigate further. But going even a step further than that, the emails themselves do not seem to have led to any specific catastrophe. And if, there, if that isn't there, it ends up looking like a procedural violation. Yes, normal people, even General David Petraeus, are going to be prosecuted under this. But Clinton appears to be in a different category. But that's not going to matter in this kind of electoral cycle. Okay, now, I, go I, I want to try to just get one more call in before we have to uh, switch gears. So uh, let's go to Jane in Blue Water. Hi, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Good afternoon. Uh, or good morning. Yes, it is afternoon, isn't it? <laughs> um, I'm... I'm appalled as an educator, um, be it um, Canadian, American, uh, throughout the world, everybody's listening and watching to what's going on, and I am not seeing leadership. I, I know we're raising young people to, to be leaders for tomorrow, and we're mm-hmm. trying to um, imbue in them the qualities and the um, character of leadership. And to watch the the person who could be a world leader carry on as these two are, I am just, I would really like to see before it's over a sense of leadership and qualities that we would want our young people to embrace. Thank you so much for that, Jane. Uh, I'm going to have to uh, let you go. I think that is what a lot of U.S. voters are feeling they're just disgusted by the whole thing. There's a lot of substance that hasn't been touched. Uh, it's 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 been uh, <laughs> it's been quite the reality show. Um, Ryan Hurl, thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you. It was a pleasure.
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.